The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. I'm actually in the Netherlands right now. Beautiful, beautiful country. My very first time. In fact, this morning, I was on the Audubon. Um, I went, I think, 151 miles per hour. I wasn't driving, uh, mom and dad, don't worry. Uh, But a very experienced Dutch driver was. And in about 10 minutes, I was in three different European countries, all right? I, I began... Of course, here in Holland, I uh, was quickly in Germany, and before I knew it, I was in Belgium, well on my way to Brussels. It was really crazy and really cool, and uh, wow, I don't even know why I'm sharing all that except to say that life is an adventure, and life is beautiful. We just got to seize it. Uh, this is going to be a really, really fun episode. I bumped into an old friend who is also a love good contributing artist. Her name is Jackie Trico. We're going to be sitting down here in just a few minutes. Beforehand, as always, I sit down with my co-host, Jenea Trudell. Really, really beautiful conversation with her. This kind of ongoing dialogue about what it really means to be human, what it means to, to live life to the full. And uh, you can check out everything that we have going on uh, in all of our travels right now by following the, the love good or even my own personal handle. So just check out Love Good Culture or Jimmy P. Mitchell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can stay very much in touch with our day-to-day unfoldings. You guys are amazing. Stay tuned. We'll be back here in just a few minutes. You look good. You look good in love. You're living life with a smile. Love has dressed you up in style. You look good. You look good in love. admits that you emit that glow. It's obvious to us your passion's fervor surpasses even that of Juliet or Romeo. You're listening to You Look Good in Love by Joshua Carswell from his live album, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host, sitting down, as always, with Jenea Trudell. Hello, everyone. So, Jenea, what do you think I mean every week when I call you my trusted co-host? <laughs> I hope you mean it literally, at I the don't least. even know what it means. I mean, you're trustworthy. <laughs> you're as good as gold. I mean, you're Canadian, which means you're all kinds of things, like friendly <laughs> And always kind and uh, all these things. But uh, it really has been a pleasure. I mean, we're past the halfway point Mm -hmm. of this podcast, season one. You are well into your time here in Nashville. How are you feeling? Like, what's the state of your heart at this time of the year? Uh, Well, yeah, I've totally fallen in love with this place. Um, I tend to do that. I think with people and places, I just, life's too short just to not, like, let it 
get to you and kind of steal your heart. So it, it has, it really has. And it'll be a different sort of pain to leave a home that has become such a thing in such a short amount of time. But, um, yeah, yeah, I'm totally in love, totally in love with this place. From what I hear, there's, there's a whole group of musicians down at the station in who are petitioning for the extension of your visa right now. Is that right? <laughs> they do. Yeah, they are. Yes, I have a little family out at the station in. There's a bluegrass jam every Sunday night. Um, that's free if you all want to come out. Um, and, yeah, just some really sweet people there are also secretly fighting the law to get me to stay, but they'll have to wait a little while. I think we're all secretly <laughs> fighting the law to get you to stay. <laughs> uh, so I thought today we could kind of jump in to technology, just sort of mm. on the whole, the role that it plays in our society today. At, at times, the, the seemingly um, unfiltered, uh, kind of unquestioned power that it has over how we live and the way that we share life and the way that we do life. And uh, I thought I could start with a little quote from Chesterton that I just read a little while ago. He, he talks about one of the greatest factors in societal decline being the blind trust in technology. Now, obviously, we've had conversations about social media, and I'm always kind of going on some rant about my iPhone and <laughs> how I love it and I hate it at the same time. I mean, I think I have five different Apple devices completely synced up that pretty much run my life. But actually, I like to think that I run them, and they just keep me organized. I think most of the time that's true. But often, I do feel a bit enslaved to technology, and I have this sense that, well, I actually should distrust it a little bit more. Um, as a society, we've arrived at this point where we sort of have this sense that as long as we can, we should. Mm. Now, I feel like we could have a whole conversation about artificial intelligence or, or virtual reality in that regard. Mm. But is that true, that just because we can, we should? Mm. As far as technological advancement is, is concerned, is that, is that the right approach? And I, I honestly am increasingly skeptical. Yeah. Yeah, me too, actually. Um, hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of um, a quote that I that I read. Um, I was taking a class this summer. Defined freedom as not the ability to do what we want, but the ability to do what we ought. Um, which was initially kind of like that's not freedom because I'm I've totally grown up with um, this like liberation attitude really towards really anything but especially the word freedom meaning more for me like a liberation and um kind of like a wild and blind flailing of like um desire and opportunity and and not really thinking critically about what I'm taking in what I'm like putting out um and what I'm taking part in and I had to learn I had to learn that and I'm still totally in the works um, and I remember a time and I'm like, I'm, I'm young enough to have been around for like the technology is always, I remember that, you know, as a kid, but I'm, I'm old enough that it wasn't a part of my childhood. Um, you sure that wasn't just because you're live, growing up in the, the country, the <laughs> Saskatchewan? You no, know, actually that definitely <laughs> played a part. Yeah. Lots of my friends were, were way more into it, but still, but still it wasn't as prevalent. Like there's there kids who are, you know three years old and they know how to unlock these things. And, um, it's amazing because it's so telling of 
what we're capable of at, at that at that age, which is amazing. Um, but to utilize that in a way that's smart is so hard when, yeah, we're totally in an environment that's saying, of course we should, if we can, you know, I am human, like all powerful. I can, and we're, we're the intelligence. I mean, intelligence is real in the human person, like, you know, we've, we make it artificial. <laughs> mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm just like, not, I'm not totally convinced yet that it's actually a step forward. Um, in a lot of ways. It, at the same time, it completely fascinates me. And I just, I don't know enough about it to really um, form a really strong opinion. Growing up, did your parents or maybe your grandparents ever tell those stories of, I remember when, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> suddenly television was in color. Oh, and then yes. next thing you know, the computer came on and we all had one in our, maybe not our family room, but certainly in some part of the house. <laughs> had its own room because yeah. it was so massive. It was, it was. And I, I remember the day that the the personal mm. computer went into full color and that took my like gaming to a whole nother level. Mm. And uh, I'll never forget the first day I got a cell phone that didn't like flip, you know, it actually just like went up to my ear. It wasn't smart yet, but it wasn't a flip phone, right? And it was a <laughs> Nokia 3360 and I was the cool kid, all right? <laughs> Uh, I'll never forget huh. going off to college and being in my freshman year before Facebook was even public. It was available to like 20 universities and Vanderbilt was one of them. And then a few years oh, later, wow. Twitter. And the next thing you know, we're living in a very different world where more and more cars in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years are going to be self-driving. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure I'm ready for that. Mm. You know, I think part of the, the, the interesting conversation here, you bring up freedom or liberation The more we hand our lives over to technology, whether that's for sake of efficiency, for sake of pleasure, uh, for sake of organization, all of which aren't bad things in and of themselves, the, the more we do sort of give up a little bit of our freedom. Like, can you imagine a day coming where everybody's going from self-driving car to self-driving car? And, uh, like, let's just say you were on some kind of like, I don't know, bad list, of names and you weren't going to get a car that day because you also went to church on Sunday. Like, can you imagine mm. how easy it would be to do like crazy cyber terrorism mm. if there was at any given point, you know, a few million cars on a grid in this country mm. that could just go spinning out of control and into buildings and into people like mm. it's wild to think about the implications. And I think the more that technology can do those kinds of things, the more I wonder if they should, Mm. right? There there may not be technological limits, but I'd say there are definitely moral limits. Mm -hmm. There's even just limits to what even makes me remotely comfortable about living in a particular neighborhood or particular city, state, or country for that matter. Yeah, it's so interesting. I definitely don't um, think about it enough, like you were saying. Um, But I do think about freedom a lot, and I do think about efficiency. And I think we're all supposed to as much as we can utilize what's around us to make us as people more able to do what we need to do whether that's work live uh, have relationships provide for our family um, whatever create uh, those things are all necessary but I always I wonder um, and I notice in my own life I notice myself being duped by things that should be um, abling me more to uh, do what I need to do and it instead it like it just doesn't 
all the t- all the time act as like a springboard that launches me. It so often acts as kind of a straitjacket, and hmm. um, it's like counterproductive and counterintuitive in a way. Um, what should cause me to be more connected has caused me to be disconnected, um, and so I just I have to keep asking myself the question: um, If all of this was taken away, um, would I still be as able to love and to give? And to allow myself to, and, and to be known, really, in my life. Like, would I, would I be less known and would people feel less known and loved by me if this was out of the picture? And if the answer is yes, then, like, that's a big problem for me on a personal level. Like, that's a really, that's not worth it for me if that's, if that's the case. Um, and maybe that is just me being old-fashioned and, like, having grown up on the farm and not, that was not a part of my life, um, for for a long time like I didn't even we I didn't have internet on the farm till I was like 12 and got Facebook when I was like 15 that's still a young age to me but and I I totally had a flip phone like a borrowed old phone from my dad's like mechanic shop that they got rid of and upgraded since I was like 18 <laughs> so was not one of the cool kids um and it sucked at the time but but looking back it, it instilled in me like a kind of a perspective of like reality that's ironically being lost in this like world of virtual reality and uh, and communication so yeah yeah I don't know it's it's supposed to be something to pass through to like encounter the the more authentic and so much of the time for me it's it's become the opposite it's I stop at the the virtualness and the virtuality and and never encounter what I mean to in the first place and that's just like annoys me a bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I think while most of us aren't innovators mm-hmm. or lawmakers, we don't have to think about this on a on a massive societal level. We definitely have to think about it on the level of our own lives and those of our family, friends, workplace. So I suppose that's what I need to start thinking about is, is to what extent do I want to allow technology into my life personally and into my life uh, one day as a husband and father. Uh, even now here at Love Good, to what extent do we try to automate every last detail of things? Um, it really is uh, an important question that I hope many of us are beginning to ask ourselves day in and day out as uh, technology gets more and more impressive, uh, but also in- increasingly unbridled at the same time. So, Jenea, as always, it's been a pleasure. We'll see you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Like awakening volcano
Be Still My Heart by Jackie Trico from her debut EP, Genevieve, available everywhere digital music is sold. Believe it or not, we are sitting down with Jackie Trico at this very moment. How are you doing, Jackie? I'm good. I'm recovering from being sick, so I don't sound like myself, but I'm good all the same. Well, this is good for that kind of like raspy thing that yeah. some artists like, right? Except I can't carry a tune at the moment, so it's not, <laughs> not quite there yet. So raspy as long as you can carry a tune. Well, so. you know, this is about the coolest interview we've ever done with the Love Good Podcast. And I'm going to go ahead and let you tell the world why that's the case. So right now, we are sitting in Hormond, which I can't pronounce with a cold, but uh, it's in the Netherlands, in the central Netherlands, which is crazy because Jimmy Mitchell was my first connection in Nashville, Tennessee, across the ocean. So <laughs> I literally, I'm here in Europe for five weeks and I'm like falling asleep in the car yesterday because of jet lag and I'm getting this tour of a castle and the next thing you know, <laughs> we're driving through this town and this friend, he turns over to me and says, Jimmy, you, you know Jackie, right? Uh, I'm like, Jackie who? Come on, give me some context. He goes, Jackie Trico. And I said, was a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he points probably not too far from the castle yeah. where I can only assume uh, you were quite enjoying yourself at the moment. You, you yeah, live probably. in a castle in the Netherlands. Tell yes. us how that is even possible. So I am an au pair for a Dutch family and um, they are of noble blood. And so they inherited a castle. <laughs> and So, so I, casual. Yeah. <laughs> it feels weird to say it. So you kind of have to say it casually. But yeah, I, um, yeah, I live in a castle and it's not all Cinderella fairy tale. It's really big and there's 70 steps up to my room. So <laughs> it's a bit of a workout to live there. Um, but I loved the history of it and just it's it's tangible history, which is really cool um, because we don't have a noble class in the United States. So it's yeah. it's always new in good and bad ways, but always new, which is exciting. Yeah, castles are such a European thing. Like my, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> like this one in Kentucky that I see, I think somewhere outside of Lexington. I'm pretty sure it's not that old, and it just looks a little too Disney for me. Yeah. You know? I think American castles tend to be like Tories and traitors yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Hopefully but, uh, I don't offend anyone by saying that. What is it about a castle, though, that it fuels or at least excites my imagination? Like everything in me goes to childhood childhood and storybook and I, I guess all these things that just feel like dreams to me. What do you think it is about a castle? I mean, I think it's just the grandeur of it because like um, even in mansions in the United States, like unless you're living in a Victorian mansion, there's no like era of uh, aura of mystery or anything surrounding it. It's really straightforward. We have like 10 TV rooms, a movie theater, a bowling alley, a blah, 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 blah. And it's all there. It's all there for you to see. But in a castle, like a 300-year-old castle that I live in. They're hidden rooms. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's like a secret staircase. Or like, she's like, <laughs> okay, can you put the Christmas ornaments away? Yeah, sure. What? It's in between the floors. But you have to, so you have to go through this other staircase. Uh, so it's like, yeah. there's just an element of like, oh, like there's something, there's tunnels that used to go directly from the church to the castle, from the church, or from the castle to another castle. There's like all wow. sorts of different things. I mean, they're not necessarily functional anymore, but they, that's, that's like it. Basically, it's like a knock on the door of your current reality yeah. to go like, hey, something existed before you. Yeah. And I think that that's really astounding because, um, I don't know, like 
I think a lot of times we get caught up in what's happening now and only what's happening now and the mm. drama of what's happening now. And we forget that there was like a life that existed before I ever existed. Yeah. It's really like a self-centered thought, but it like jars you to go like, oh, wow, yeah. like people were married and happy and had children and big families in this house. Uh, before I even existed. D dating back how many centuries? Um, so the house is, was made in the 1600s, I think. Wow, yeah. So it's like four, almost 400 years old. I really love how you said that. I mean, I think a castle not only elicits my desire for beauty and adventure, but even history, you yeah. know, that we are actually just a blip on the yeah. radar screen. Like our lives are such a small part of this bigger thing called history. And uh, you're right, that is really humbling and it's really refreshing. And here you are living in the midst of <laughs> so much of that. Yeah. How has that experience been for you? Because it's only been, what, a couple of months you've been living over here, maybe three now? Yeah, it's been a really intense three months though, honestly. So I arrived on Sinterklaas, which is like um, the Dutch... Oh, like St. Nicholas. Yeah, exactly. December 6th. 5th, or 5th. yeah. Ah. So they celebrate on the 5th, and then St. Nicholas comes, um, Santa Claus comes in the night of the 5th. So and you get, like, candy in your shoes? Yeah, and they, like, eat the, the his reindeer or something, eat carrots and stuff like that. I almost that. thought he you said they eat his reindeer. <laughs> no, <laughs> they probably weird. do somewhere. But no, no, no. So, so yeah, so it was a really <laughs> intense way to start, um, but really, really interesting, too. But, um so, yeah, my first three months have been, yeah, really full. Um, in December, my grandma passed away. Um, oh. So that was unexpected. I mean, sort of expected. Uh, I don't know how to say it. But you weren't able to probably get back. No, I wasn't able yeah. to get back. But there, I had a lot of peace about that. But at the same time, every now and again, it, like, comes up. And, it, it, and I found that to be true, like, in my songwriting, too. But living in a castle and living in this context where I don't have friends yet and I, I have a lot of time to myself, um, at first I was really kind of sad about it. It was really a little depressing. I'm a social extrovert and I love people, so to not have people to go experience things with was hard. Mm. Um, but right away I found, like, provision for that. Like, I there were people placed in my life that are in crazy circumstances. Like my roommate's roommate from Kansas was a missionary in Haiti, and now I have these friends that are an hour away. Um, but what it provoked more than anything else was a lot of like introspection and a lot of what do I want to do with this time? Because I, having my grandma pass away while I was here, she lived a very long life. Um, it really provoked the questions like, well, what if I don't have all the time that I think I do? If I don't have all the time that I think I do, what do I want to do today so that when a time comes, I've lived fully? And I don't mean that in like a YOLO, let's go jump off a building <laughs> kind of way. But but like, what do I want to leave? Or, or not even what I want to leave, but what, what will bring me closer to what I really desire? And so wow. it's been a lot of looking at myself but also, in addition, because I think for me before, looking at myself was a very, like, harsh critique. It was always like, you do this wrong, you do this wrong, this is wrong, this is this flaw and that flaw. And instead, this time, like, what I felt drawn to was just, like, how do I look at myself as a gift? 
And not just like, ah, I'm a gift for other people, but just a gift in general. So these tendencies that I get annoyed at, like my interest in multiple things, how do I look at that as instead of something like a hindrance or an obstacle to be overcome, but as something that's an, actually a gift to, to look at and to appreciate and to follow. So that's kind of been the work of what I'm doing right now, but also to like be brave in front of those things that I that I want. So I want to live my life doing music. And that doesn't mean that I sell millions of albums, but I want to share it with people. So how do I do that in a way that's really authentic, that's genuinely me, and that kind of ignores what society tells you, like this is how you be a successful musician. And like, what does it mean to be successful? Mm. It's a lot of things happening in the first so three really, months. It's so important, right? I think we are all at some point in our lives needing to answer those questions. You know, where did I come from? And what am I doing here? And what is, what are my deepest desires? Mm. Or what you might call your your deepest fires? You mm. know, what, what are the things that fuel you and, and, and impassion you mm. and really give you a sense of purpose yeah. and a sense of belonging uh, because this life is really short, yeah. as you said, and uh, we cannot predict whether or not we're going to have tomorrow, even tonight, you yeah. know. And so to live every moment, realizing everything's charged with with grandeur, like the castle, as you were describing, yeah. that's a big deal. I really love how you said uh, you want every day to stand courageous before your desires, yeah. before the things you are really pursuing. And I would love for you to talk about that a little bit more because coming all the way across the world demands courage. Writing a song every couple of weeks demands courage. Uh, spending time in the midst of a, of a language and a culture that you hardly know anything about demands courage. Being born, I think you said, in the Bahamas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you <laughs> are not afraid of adventure and you're not yeah. afraid of novelty you're certainly not afraid of putting yourself out there. And how do you do it? Okay, so the first part of your question was about uh, the, the grandeur, right? About about living courageous? Yeah, especially before your desires. How do you stand courageous, have, have bravery uh, in, in pursuit of things that are daunting and scary and new? I think that... My, so the, the thing that always comes back to me, my friend actually said it to a friend of mine. <laughs> he, I wasn't even in the conversation. He's in seminary now in Bocea in Italy, which is just outside of Rome. And he is one of my favorite people because he is he's very particular and he's not afraid to just tell you that he's particular. And it doesn't when he tells you about that, it doesn't mean that you are not loved or that he doesn't, if you don't share his opinion, that he doesn't like you. But he's very clear. So my, our friends and I were talking about this question, like, oh, well, I want to do this, but I'm afraid to do it. And he's like, do you ever notice that attraction is first and fear is second? Mm. And that attraction is given and fear is something we generate. And so that has always stuck with me. Like he said it to a friend, he, she repeated it to me because I needed to hear it. Wow. But that's always stuck with me. And so when I was in the face of, being in university, I think back on making a CD while I was in college, and I think I was crazy because I don't know how I did it. But I wanted to follow this. I knew that this was something I'd been given, and I needed to see where it went. So all of these opportunities are really things in the same light. Like, they're all things I've been given. I didn't generate them of myself. It was a curiosity that 
instigated it. Mm. I, I asked the question of like, well, what is it like to be an au pair in a foreign country? And it kind of fell from there. But, but really, I think it's saying yes to the desires and saying no to the fears because the fears are something that I make up mm. a lot of times. Like, I'm not going to die most likely flying over to the Netherlands. I might be scared out of my wits. I might not know. I had this hilarious fiasco going to Switzerland the other, like three weeks ago. But at every point where I could have panicked, I instead was like, okay, well, I'm just going to be humble and ask somebody Ugh. because I don't know. <laughs> I don't speak the language. And at every single point where I was humble enough to ask, there was always somebody given to me to respond to the need. And I talked to my friend Alex a lot about this because we're kind of in a similar place. And, like, how do we, like, follow these desires that we have? Or, like, how does that make us happy? And, like, how do we deal with this restlessness? Like, what's the difference between just doing something as a reaction and doing something because you desire it? And I think for me, what I've realized is, like, my reactions cause me to be in a state of fear. Mm. Like, when I'm, when I'm responding to something, like, reacting, I can tell. I know. I, it's a flight mode sort of thing. That was, like, me half an hour ago when I was trying <laughs> to get this technology to work. <laughs> oh, I, like, turn into somebody I hate. <laughs> and, and it happens to everybody. But it was that, like, willingness to, like, look at that and be like, okay, that's fear. This is... This is actually an authentic desire. Ugh. and But also, what I've noticed is, like, not trying to control it. Because... A year ago, I was in Switzerland. I had no idea I'd be going to the Netherlands. To be honest, I didn't even want to ever go to the Netherlands. It wasn't on my bucket list. Amsterdam could be cool, but I don't care. I want to be in Italy. <laughs> was really my goal. So, Apologies to all of our Dutch listeners yeah, out no, there. <laughs> I have since regretted those words. But, but I think in the moments where I tried to control my future and like dictate what it was going to look like, I was reactionary. I was fearful. I was making decisions that were really just running away. But in the moments where I looked at something I desired, even when it wasn't exactly what I pictured, that's where I've been happiest. Wow. So. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so you've got a lot to process as an artist that then I'm sure <laughs> translates into all of your creativity. I mean, Jackie, this is what continues to just make me stand amazed before artists, I mean, those mm. who have this vocation uh, as a servant of beauty, mm. uh, you just have a way of living life at another level <laughs> that the rest of us are just striving for. This is at least my experience. And then you put universal truths into words like you just did just mm. now. And I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, that's it. To live a life rooted in in desire, especially those elevated, purified desires, the one that we can ultimately trust uh, and not to, to root ourselves in fear or be paralyzed or dictated mm -hmm. by fear. So here's the interesting thing is you did say not too long ago this afternoon that, you, that it's easier for you to put a lot of this into music mm -hmm. um, than just sheer words. I mean, you're yeah. a poet, sounds like at heart, yeah. and yet you're not a blogger, right? You're no. much more of a songwriter. So tell me, what what is that like? I don't have an easy time putting words to music or music to words. Yeah. Those are like different realities for me, but for you, they collide. Yeah. So I think it started with like how I started to make music in general. So um, my first song was a, was a response to reality, really because my dad was a youth minister and I was a little kid, I was like nine. And all of, I was, I always felt super cool because my mom would sometimes let me stay up late and go to youth group with <laughs> my dad. 
And and those kids in his first like years of youth group really like took me in and cared about me and loved me. Um, and one of them went to university, which I thought was like the drama of my life. I was like, all my friends are leaving. But he actually, he had a brain aneurysm and he fell on a table and he passed away. And he was 18 and I had no idea how to process it. I just, I, I remember like, like movie drama in my head, like running away from my mom. I like couldn't believe that this was true. And it's not that like, in reality, that we were that close. He was 18 and I was nine. So we were, but to me, it was, it was the first time I'd really encountered death or tragedy. And I went home and I didn't write, I didn't have a, I didn't know how to play guitar. I had never learned piano. So I just sat in my room and I wrote about what that felt like. And for me, that's like the best way to describe how I, how music is involved in my life is that, it really is a processing point for me. Uh, but it's a processing point after the fact. Like, I don't write in the midst of the drama, of the turmoil, of the interior dialogue. It's like kind of after the moment has passed and I reflect on it. So being here and, like, experiencing all of these, like, talking through all of these different things, mm. I really was like, okay, I'll start a blog. Like, everybody else because that gets you popular people like <laughs> blogs and I totally have so many interests I can just put them all in a blog and my life will like work seamlessly and then I sat down and I was like I'm I'm really anxious when I write papers like like I in college I could write a really good paper but the 10 hours before I was writing it I was like plagued with anxiety wow. I, I couldn't even start it like, my sister, I'd have to call my sister every time and be like, I hate this paper. I hate this. She's like, no, you're just anxious. Get over it and write the paper because you need to write it. And um, so for me, I, like, came up with this huge plan, and I was, like, talking to my dad about it. I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I sat down to do it, and I was like, I hate this. I don't know why I'm trying to make myself write this. But in the midst of that, I'd written three or four songs. And I was looking at the songs, and then I was looking at this uh, what is it called? Squarespace website that I have <laughs> that I haven't published. And I'm looking at it, going like, um, you know, I think I should just write the music. So for me, it doesn't have a consistent thing that like I don't have a consistent process in that like I always write the guitar first and then the words come. But most consistently, it's that I'm having conversations. I'm talking with people. I'm living my life. I don't sit holed up in my room usually. And there's a, there are words that someone will say or that I'll sometimes say, and they feel like home. And I don't know how to describe it other than like, it's like when I hear the words, it clicks. And I could have heard them before, but in that moment, and I'm like, okay, I have to write about this. I need to write about this. And sometimes I'm falling asleep and that happens. And sometimes I'm talking to somebody else and it happens. So the song St. Louis on my EP, someone was like, okay, I'll meet you in St. Louis. And it was like, boom. And that was the whole thing. So it's... I don't, I don't know, but I just decided a long time ago that I wanted to look at what was really happening to me mm. instead of running away from it. And music is a way that I've like learned to express it. 
We are back, as always, with Jessamine Anderson, one of those segments in the podcast every week where we get really down and dirty and practical on how we can build a better culture. How are you doing this week, Jimmy? Really good, really good. So, Jessamine, yes. what do you got for us this week? Well, we get a lot of questions from people, our patrons, people who have downloaded the sampler, and they're like, well, I love what I've got from Love Good, but where can I find more of this? Or how do I know what's next on my reading list? And so we have recently shared a few blog posts that are listed of recommendations from the Love Good team. We are raising our standard even within the office. We've got our Love Good standard up and we have put together lists of movies and books and music that are our favorites and we want to share those with you. So you can go to lovegoodculture.com slash blog to check out these lists of recommendations. You know, at some point in the last five years, I was sent a list of a hundred books I have to read before I die. And it's been one of those lists I have constantly referenced, and I don't always know quite what to read next, <laughs> but I know just knowing that that list exists uh, is really, really crucial. In fact, there was this moment not even too long ago where I wrote down my top 20 books on a napkin in New Zealand. And did you it, save that napkin, Jimmy? I did not, but it was handed <laughs> off to somebody, and images of that napkin have now been passed around three different continents. So oh. there is something about recommendations from people that you trust, and uh, I'm really, really glad that we're taking this new direction with the blog, and uh, as always, thanks for the heads up. Of course. Have a great week, everyone. It sounds like so much of your creative process begins with reality and trying to, to receive or even um, understand and embrace the reality of things. Uh, but I love what you said about home, mm. that certain moments just feel like home. Mm. And then what you were then capturing in songs are so many of those moments. Mm. Uh, that really is powerful. And obviously it's been a couple of years. May of 2015, yeah. your debut EP came out exclusively to Love Good Patrons. You then went on a, a several-week house concert tour with us. Yeah. That was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and <laughs> now you're here. We're reconnecting. I know you've had at least one single release since then, but... Everybody's probably wondering at this point, what's the next thing coming from Jackie Trico? I'm certainly wondering. <laughs> it. So, what's the what's the plan? What's the uh, the hope? You're going to do an EP, a full length album, a few more singles. What's what's in the horizon? So, quite frankly, I hate single releases because <laughs> I've all, I hate receiving them from artists because I'm always like, no, come on, just give me the whole thing. Yeah. But so I don't like to release singles, um, but. As far as Costco, that's usually what's afforded. So for me, it was a problem of a full length. How do I look at this desire I have to make a full length ZD and stop being afraid of it? Because for me, it was always, I don't have time. I don't have money. I have this work schedule. I'll never have enough money to do this because I'm an artist and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized like that's not good enough because... I'm not going to die having not done it, or at least tried. So what I decided was, okay, I'm afraid to learn how to use GarageBand. I'm afraid that I'll be good, like be bad at it, and that it won't be a good quality, and that people won't like it because it's not a good quality. But every time I write a song, I record it on voice memos, and I send it to like 10 of my friends, and I get their feedback. And most of the time, my voice memo recordings are put in their iTunes account, and they listen to them like normal. So my idea was like, and I developed this with a few of my friends, was just like, why not put out something that's just really normal, like that your friends hear, like, and yes, I want it to be of a quality so that it can be released on like iTunes and Spotify, so it's 
whatever. But something but, raw. But something raw, something one take, something with me and my guitar. Mm. So the, the next plan, the plan that I came up with, is I would like to release a full length of 12 songs, one for every month that I'm in the Netherlands. Wow. And one for every part of this journey um, as a B-sides, raw take, um, full-length release. Mm. And then... But I'm also really passionate about collaboration. But the way that I collaborate is not like, hey, let's write a song together. But it's more like, here's a thing I made. Do you want to make something with it? Mm. And really, so I want to release an EP of five to six songs following the full-length release that are full, done out in a studio with all the bells and whistles sort of thing with specific collaborations. So that it's really like, if you had to put in a nutshell, what is what is Jackie's Trico's music? It's raw, authentic, lyrically driven folk-ish music and collaboration. It's a community. It's something that's generated because of a mutual affection for this thing. So that's kind of what's coming eventually. It's beautiful. And I'm sure there are some really <laughs> exciting ways for people to stay in touch with you and track you on social media. Maybe you have a, a website. But how can people know when these things are hitting and just also follow your adventures here in Europe? Yeah. So if you want to follow my adventures, uh, the easiest way is to go to Instagram. And Jackie Trico is the Instagram handle is J-A-C-Q-U-I-T-R-E-C-O. And um, that I'll, I post pictures and I post videos of covers and stuff from time to time when I have a voice. Um, but then as far as tracking my music, I think the easiest way to go is to follow me as an artist on Spotify. And Spotify will send you a clever notification when I release things that says, hey, Jackie released something. Do you want to check it out? I just did that with Vance Joy the other day to me, so I assume that's how it works. So good. So <laughs> that's the easiest way to do it. I'm still building out the website. Maybe you'll get some blogs out of me. We never know. Good. <laughs> that's awesome, Jackie. So. Well, it's been an absolute privilege. I'm going to give you just a maybe 10-second time period to now answer this final question, which is <laughs> top three albums that have fueled your creativity and just like been a, a part of your pilgrimage through life in the last year, top three albums, maybe the last month. Oh, shoot, man. Okay, in the last three, okay, the last year. Um, oh, man. While I have to while look you're thinking, This is something I've been wanting to do on the podcast for a while. Everybody, there are some incredible so albums. So I'm the guinea pig. Yeah, well, I'm obsessed right now with U2's Songs of Experience. I've never oh. listened to it. Oh, man. Well, it's brand new. I mean, new okay. as of December. Um, everybody, if you haven't checked out Moon Taxi's latest, this is one of my absolute favorites. Uh, don't even know what it's called. Oh, yeah, Let the Record Play. Obsessed with the new Steel Drivers. Audrey Saad has a brand new album this week. Dawson Hollow, which you can get exclusively at lovegoodculture.com. I, <laughs> I mean, it's sort of, okay, the news, Chris Stapleton, volume two Still haven't listened from to the it. A Room. Um, <laughs> basically, those are my tops right now. That gave you just enough time, Jackie. Okay, so of all time, my top three favorite lyricists are um, Rue Paines, who is a British singer-songwriter. Um, the Hunts, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're a band of seven siblings from Chesapeake, Virginia. And David Ramirez. And David Ramirez is an alt-country alt indie songwriter. His songwriting is so authentic, and he's not afraid to just ask questions that, like, are kind of scandalous sometimes, but also just really well-written. Like, and I don't even love country music, but I love, like, the way that he pays honor to it without, like, going pop country. So David Ramirez, Rue Paines, and The Hunts 
Okay, people, these are your official <laughs> Love Good recommendations for the week, straight from Jackie Trico. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today, Jackie. We'll do this again, hopefully somewhere closer to home next time. Yeah, maybe. You never know, Jimmy. We're both around <laughs> the world all the time, so. We'll be in touch. All righty, I'll see you later. The most beautiful of stories of love. the shore the earth cried out for more left a chain of lakes in tow so long sweet summertime so Summertime, the brand new single release from Jackie Trico, available everywhere digital music is sold. What a joy to have had Jackie in the studio, although we're not actually in a studio. We sat down in the beautiful guest apartment of some really good friends of ours here in the Netherlands, and it is so crazy that we've bumped into each other and had this opportunity to chat and spend some time together. Thanks to everybody out there tuning in. It is such a joy knowing that here we are at the beginning of about a month of travels for me all over the the continent of Europe and still able to sit down with some of the most beautiful people and talk about the things of life that actually matter. Speaking of which, we have got a question from one of you coming in and um, I actually have no idea where this one's coming in from, so check it out. Hello, my name is Kendra and I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on the relationship between beauty, memory and hope. I know that truly beautiful moments and encounters tend to make marks on our hearts that remain with us sometimes for years or lifetimes, and we can call these memories to mind in times of dryness or difficulty, or when we are tempted to despair. My question is, how can we develop a healthy relationship with memories so that we do not call them to mind just so that we can relive them and escape the present moment, but instead let them gently remind us to hope and continue to live in the now? Well, Kendra, I think you can just drop the mic on that question. My goodness, um, all the way from Halifax, Canada. That is such an amazing and difficult question, to be honest. Uh, I guess I've thought about how memory can either haunt us or bless us quite a bit. I don't know that I've ever thought about how memory also serves to buoy us with hope. And, and hope is obviously very different from escapism. So I'm obviously pondering a lot of the moments in my own life where I, I have felt tangible hope, you know, standing on a volcano in Guatemala, overlooking a beautiful, beautiful view, um, going inside of a cave in Austria and feeling like I was closer to God than I had ever been in my entire life. Um, obviously holding my newborn nephew in my arms, uh, the first time I ever really fell in love. Uh, those are memories that, that give me hope even now because they push me forward. And I suppose that's the difference, is hope is always forward moving. 
It's never this kind of passive nostalgia or this escapism that leads to regret or that leads to anything but gratitude. So that would be the biggest difference. That, that would be the litmus test is, is does this memory buoy me with hope and, and press me onward and inspire me to keep going uh, until that next encounter with beauty really comes? So Kendra, wow, thanks for uh, forcing me into a place of real thoughtfulness there and depth. Really, really, really cool. As always, you can call in with any question you'd like to ask about media, culture, and the art of being human. All you got to do is send us a voice memo or audio recording at content at lovegoodculture.com. Everybody, it's been a total pleasure to sit down with each of you, wherever you find yourselves in the world. Maybe you listen to this podcast in the car. Maybe you listen to it while you work out. I don't know. But I I do know that right now we need every single one of you to hop on the iTunes podcast app and give us a review. You have no idea how much that helps get the word out about what we're doing and uh, know that we can't do any of this without you. So um, again, go to the podcast app, leave us a review, and we'll be so grateful, especially in the weeks ahead. We're really wanting this thing to become more and more of a global movement. And obviously, we've got a, a huge opportunity in front of us being in Spain, all over the United Kingdom, uh, even that little country of Andorra, which nobody's ever heard of, but it's right a little slice in between Spain and France. Everybody, so many more cool conversations and stories to come in the weeks ahead. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.